I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. An assistant coach departs for a position in the NFL. Uh, it doesn't stop Napier from landing and and uh, recruit at that position this week. Uh, a couple of Gators going to Indy for the combine, and we'll wrap up with a little Gators trivia from the NFL combine. Will's got some questions for me. Uh, I was on the honor code. He gave me the categories. Wasn't supposed to look it up, so I'll give my best shots. Uh, I'm guessing these these answers at the end here, Will. I, I got to be honest. I, I, I'm not too well-versed in specific schools uh, NFL combine trivia in, in that regard. Even, I, I got even school like Florida where I follow pretty much everything. I, I don't know who holds all the combine records, but we'll give it a shot. I'll give you a list for each one. We'll see. Yeah, if I I'm, I'm very disappointed that you, you, you doubt yourself on these. Um, you know, this is the kind of thing that we, we expect you to know, Nick, really, you, you need to, you need to make sure, you know, what the fastest 40 yard dash time is for in Florida history and all those sorts of things. So I just happened to c- across this article from Gator sports. I thought it was really interesting. It laid out the, the sort of six or seven categories with the top, top combine scores. Um, you know, obviously, uh, it's, it's silly season this time. So we're going to participate a little bit and, uh, and talk about the combine. Yeah. Wrong wrong category of useless information for me i i got so many other good categories of useless information in my head nfl combine trivia is is not up there but we'll, well, we'll after this what everybody will know man yeah we'll give it a shot we'll give it a shot uh all right let's start off here uh offensive line coach darnell stapleton has accepted a job with the washington commanders of course new staff up there under dan quinn uh, Stapleton is the latest member of Napier's original staff to head out. Uh, I believe that's eight assistants in the last couple cycles here. Uh, but it was a unique situation with the offensive line. You had two coaches, Chris Sales, of course, still intact. So it's not like this room's completely empty. But Napier has shown a tendency to have a two offensive line system here, two offensive line coaches in the system. So it'll be interesting to see what direction he goes the good part, Will, I know last week we talked about Napier mentioning the continuity, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Good part is th- this position group, they do have a lot of stability returning. I was took a brief look at the projected uh, too deep on our lads, and really I, I agree with a lot of names on there. Uh, eight out of ten players in the top two positions at each position on the depth chart, with exception of the two transfers, uh, the San Diego State transfer, Brandon Crenshaw-Dixon and Dev, uh, Devon Manuel from Arkansas. Outside of those two players, the other eight are returners for next year, returning from they played here in 2022 at least. So this group does have a lot of stability. You still got Chris Sale. We'll see where they go if they choose to add that second punch. But that was definitely one of the most unique fi- features of the Billy Napier staff, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, I mean, I don't expect that to end. I suspect that they're going to replace Stapleton with another offensive line coach or at least another on-field coach at a position where you can sort of duplicate responsibilities. Um, you know, Napier has has been very clear that he's going to 
delegate NIL stuff, that he's going to delegate recruiting type stuff. He's going to delegate other, you know, sort of the special team stuff to two different special teams coaches and that the offensive stuff's going to stay in his, in his stead. And, you know, I, I said, I mean, last week or two weeks ago that I at least respect that if he's going to go down, he's going to go down with what he believes in. Um, and so, you know, replacing this particular coaching hire, it isn't going to be an outside offensive coordinator. I'd be very surprised if that's the direction mm-hmm. they go, because that's not the direction they went when they were way more candid that's available and probably higher quality candidates for as an outside offensive coordinator perspective available. You do wonder whether they'll promote from inside the staff. You know, you think about all the analysts, all the people they've got there on staff. If you're going to bring somebody in, you got to bring somebody from the, if you're bringing somebody in from the outside, you're going to have to get them to jump from someplace and jumping in a situation where there is some instability there in Gainesville. Let's be honest. We talked about it last week with the strength coach, strength coach, coach Fitzgerald moving to uh, Boston college. As far as Stapleton's concerned, it's a major upgrade, right? I mean, going to an NFL head coaching job, Dan Quinn in his first year there at Washington, which means you've got more stability than you would normally than you have at Florida, um, and that's not something you normally get in the NFL. But you figure you're probably two or three years in there at Washington before anything really takes hold. And Stapleton has spent his entire career at the college ranks. And so if you're if you're a guy who enjoys the coaching but doesn't enjoy the recruiting, then obviously that switch to the NFL makes a lot of sense. And and we've seen that, right? We've seen guys make that jump to the NFL, even if it was a downgrading job, just because college has so much uncertainty and so much, uh, you know, just there's so many different things that are changing at that level that have nothing to do with actual football. And if you really love coaching football and all the other stuff is just extraneous, then that's a good move. So not a surprise that Florida would have a guy move, move out of there. I think maybe a surprise given how the offensive line played last year, you know, that Dan Quinn would look and say, yeah, I want some of that. (laughs) At the same time, Stapleton has a really good reputation. And this is one of those where it's not like you're you're getting either a a horizontal move or a lateral move or even somebody taking a step down. This is a major step up for a Florida for a for a Florida staff member. And quite honestly, this is one of those where you got to say, good, good for Billy Napier. He selected someone who was wanted in the NFL. And now it's time to fill that position with someone else who's wanted by the NFL. Hopefully in a couple of years, we're we're looking at that replacement and saying, cool, he went on to the NFL too because of all the success the offensive line had. And, and if that's the case, then certainly it'd be a win for Napier. Yeah, nothing says stability like the Washington Redskins football team commanders, TBDs. They, they, they're uh, just a super stable franchise there. Stapleton? Is a young guy. He played a lot of years in the league. I think this is a good sign. I, I like that there's some turnover year to year on Napier's staff. You want to see other programs, other, especially when the NFL's dipping. This is the second year in a row the NFL has dipped in uh, after the Super Bowl to come get some members off of Napier's staff. So that's a positive. That, that's a positive. You see top staffs, they, they rotate guys all the time and, that's just a that's a good sign that you have some good coaches in here on board, even if we haven't had the results to match just yet. So Stapleton's a young guy. He definitely, I believe he's taking the assistant offensive line coach up there in Washington, if I'm not mistaken, Will. So yeah, well, I don't know if he's taking the, the head the I don't know if he's the offensive line coach up there, but gets to dip his toe and toes in some NFL coaching and and you know, always can flip back to college at a later date for probably be a solid candidate for a lot of jobs in, in college after the next couple of years. Well, he's not the offensive line coach at Florida, right? Or at least he right. wasn't the right. offensive line coach at Florida. Yep. And you think about a guy like Bienemy, 
who's there behind Andy Reid in Kansas City, goes to Washington in order to sort of get out of a shadow. Now, it didn't necessarily work out all that well for Biennemi, and maybe from a from a reading the room perspective in terms of the the amount of rope you're going to get, uh, Biennemi maybe would have been better served going someplace else. At the same time, that principle, right, of he was never going to get the credit for, the, for being the offensive coordinator and bringing what he was bringing to that room while Andy Reid was seen as the guy who was doing it. I think you said the same thing for Florida in terms of Sale being the offensive coordinator or co-offensive coordinator, being sort of the lead when it comes to the offensive line. I know they split up responsibilities, but if Florida's offensive line played well, Sale was going to be the guy who got the credit. He was the guy who had the NFL experience already. This gets Stapleton into the NFL, gets him that experience, and gets him in a situation where he's going to get um, credit, promotions, jobs, those sorts of things, especially at a young age, that's important. So like you mentioned, 38 years old, um, that makes a difference when you start trying to track your career, especially if you have aspirations of being an offensive coordinator or being a head coach in the NFL. The earlier you can get started at the assistant side, I mean, we see this all the time, right, with guys like Kyle Shanahan, who basically, you know, they're 12 years old and they're already sitting there, you know, drawing up plays for their dad while while they're the head coach. If you don't have that level of nepotism to help you into, <laughs> into those positions, then obviously getting the, to the league as fast as you can is a good thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a positive thing. The league is coming after Florida coaches. Um, the more Florida coaches who wind up in the NFL, the better. It's not a bad thing to have to replace them. It's just kind of bad that they have to replace them with this timing, right? That it's hard in February to go get somebody. But again, it's the University of Florida, you should be able to go to just about any conference in the country and even the big time conferences in the country and take whoever you want, so long as you're willing to pay enough to get them to come. So, you know, if, if there's somebody at Purdue you want, if there's somebody at, at Florida State you want, if there's somebody at Clemson you want, if there's somebody, you know, those should be, there should be opportunities for you to provide um, the 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 opportunities that different people would want would find attractive and would be financially lucrative enough to make them make the leap. Then it's just a question. Does Florida want to invest in it? So we'll see who they backfill this with. Like I said, you know, they already made the decision strategically that they're not going to go get an outside offensive coordinator. Opening up this spot isn't, I don't think is likely to change that determination, which means you're probably backfilling with another offensive line coach to come in and essentially cast the same vision that Rob Sales sort of casting over the entire group. And the good news is most most organizations make do with one offensive line coach, so Sales should be able to come in, pick up any slack in the meantime while uh, while they're looking for Stapleton's replacement. Go snag a coach off of Boston College and uh, stick it to Bill O'Brien. I like that. Steve Adazio, come back to the swamp. That would really stick it to Boston College there. Get Adazio back, although they would probably say you can have that would probably be the reaction for Boston College, but we'll we'll see. I, I don't know if we can get BC back in some way. I kind of like that idea. All right, let's move on to four bits here. Peyton Joseph, offensive line prospect, commits this past week, 6'4, 305, uh, listed as an interior offensive lineman from Warner Robins, Georgia. His tape looks real strong. Obviously, he's just a huge kid, but he's not a big guy. Some of these guys in high school, they're just they're big bodies that don't that they they need a couple years in the weight room before you kind of see what they're going to be. This guy looks the part on tape right away. Like he looks the part. He looks like he's going to be a, a solid contributor. Uh, this isn't like your developmental prospect either uh, across the board. I think this is going to be a guy that could come in and, and play early. Um, after last cycle, I'm just going to look at a commit will and just say nice, nice. You're on board. That's good. That's good. 
let's uh, let's get that paperwork signed. But I, I tell you what, the, I, I, I glanced at his tape. I, I watched I watched a few plays uh, uh, of his high school tape, and I, I tell you what, this is uh, I think this is one of the better looking offensive line prospects we've landed in the Billy Napier era. Yeah, well, I mean, you think about some of the guys who've been ranked up at that level. I mean, you're really talking about Roderick Kearney, and you know, you're talking about. about and you're talking about Fletcher Westfall. Those are the two guys who yeah. sort of fit in that profile in terms of how high they are in the overall rankings. This isn't a can't miss guy. He's not, you know, a five star can't miss prospect. On three has him at 206, 24 7 has him at 107, ESPN has him at 134, and Rivals has him at 127. Now, they do have him in terms of interior offensive linemen. He's ranked 13th, 5th, 3rd, and 4th. So, you're getting one of the better guards in the country. And considering that he is a guard, he's not a tackle, you're bringing in a guy, you think about a guy like Osiris Torrance, right? That was somebody who Billy Napier and his staff at Louisiana were able to identify, were able to bring him in, and obviously turned into a fantastic player at Louisiana and then at Florida as well. So I think these guys have an eye for what they're looking for. They know what they're looking for. Like you said, the tape on, on Joseph looks pretty good. And, you know, it's it's a it's a solid, solid, solid addition to the 2025 recruiting class. Uh, the second ranked player overall, when you look at the composite. So Jalen Wiggins is ranked 92nd, the defensive lineman out of Tallahassee. And this one, you know, you look at the on three, the on three schools that they had and projected to. It was Florida, Georgia, Florida State and Alabama. Mm -hmm. So you're beating out your rivals. So that's important. Yep. He's from Warner Robins, Georgia. So he's about halfway between Gainesville and Athens, probably a little bit closer to Athens than he is to Gainesville. And typically a guy ranked 121st in the 24-7 composite who Kirby Smart wants, Kirby Smart gets. And and so that's why this is a big deal. It's not necessarily like um, this giant, hey, this is a first, you know, day one starter at left tackle who's going to change the way that the DJ Lagway plays. But you've got Westfall last year. You got Kearney from a couple years ago. You got Joseph coming in 2025. You can start to see the talent level in that offensive line room going up. Now, I still think they need a couple of elite players in there, and that's really how you always grade a recruiting class is how many guys did you stack on top of each other? And hopefully one of those guys ranked 700th or 1,000th or something like that turns into a really solid player, and then you've got, you know, you're sort of anchoring things down with, with five-star level talent. Not quite there yet, but Joseph's a big addition and and a good foundation for what they're going to try to build in the 2025 class around that offensive line. Yeah, quietly putting together a nice class so far. I, I don't think there's – you don't have that lagway name in there, right? There's not that big, sexy name in there right now, but it is a solid start, I, I think, so far. How, how do you feel about where we stand at the moment, Will? I mean, I feel like we stand a lot like where we did or where we have for the three years of the Napier era. That transition class wasn't very good, but everything other than that's kind of ended up around the 92 player average player ranking. They're at 92.92 right now, only four commits. Uh, but you look at Ohio State, they've, they're 95.94. Georgia's 95.56. LSU is probably the best comp since Brian Kelly came in there at the same time as Florida. They got nine commits, three five-stars, 94.77. FSU's 94.02, only four commits, but one of those is a five-star. And Alabama with DeBoer doesn't have any five stars yet, but they're at 93.7. So Florida's behind. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that Florida's behind. At the same time, given Florida's schedule, given all the noise around Napier, um, you know, I wouldn't ex like, I would love to see a top three class. I'm not expecting one. I think it's hard to sell what they have right now. They're going to have to show some stuff on the field, just like Florida State did. I mean, if you look at Florida State um, the last few years, 
they really hadn't recruited that well under Norvell. Hit the transfer portal really hard, hit it big time at quarterback with Jordan Travis, and now all of a sudden Florida State is recruiting at a level that seems to that is definitely where it needs to be for the ACC. We'll see whether they can maintain that for the SEC. I mean, if you put if you put FSU in the SEC, I think they'd rank like you know seventh, eighth, or ninth in the conference last year for recruiting kind of right where Florida is and that's not going to be good enough long-term in the SEC for the ACC probably will be. So um, look, I think Florida has a lot to work, a lot of work to do. I think this class is either going to sort of fall apart or come together based on what we see on the field in 2024. Obviously if Napier's no longer there in 2025, that changes the dynamic for everybody who's committed. And I think rightly so, right? I mean, you commit to a coach and if the coach isn't there anymore, then, uh, <laughs> then you're going to take a look elsewhere. Obviously if Florida comes out and puts up a 10 and two season, well, then I think you're going to see a lot of guys commit to Gainesville because I, I think the NIL and all that stuff's starting to get in place where if you can sell a vision, then, then the recruits will start to come. So it really kind of depends, I think, in many ways, where Napier has the program heading into heading into September, October, November next year. I would expect guys to wait if they're thinking about popping to Florida to see what's on the field, to see what the noise looks like in Gainesville, and see whether they're making a commitment for an extended period of time or whether they're making a commitment to a coach who may not be there. And and obviously that gets people on edge. You mentioned uh FSU, you use the phrase long-term and ACC together. Uh, I don't know if that's happening based on the news this week here. How, how are you feeling about where FSU's headed? Well, it seems like seems like they're going to come to some sort of resolution at some point with the ACC. I know there's not really a timeline on the table just yet, but that all arrows seem to be pointing to the fact that they there will be, uh, you know, whether it's in the next year or two, some kind of exit some kind of split with the ACC. It seems like obviously they want to be in the SEC. They want to be in the big 10. One of those two, where do you anticipate they land? I mean, I, I think they'll probably end up in the SEC at some point. I think it's probably in the best interests of the ACC teams to figure out a way to participate in whatever the big 10 and the SEC um, end up putting together. Um, at the same time, I think strategic leaks of, you know, hey, somebody's about to come to an agreement. We see that all the time in other sports mm -hmm. where you're trying to put pressure on somebody, you're trying to build leverage, you're trying to build a build a consensus. Because, look, if teams like Virginia Tech, Miami, NC State, and North Carolina say, no, we're not letting you out, then Florida, like Florida State's going to have to negotiate with all the other teams, which means all the other teams have to be not left behind. And that's going to be the thing is that the ACC teams are going to have to have a place to land beyond just Florida State. Otherwise, what's the incentive to let Florida State go? And and this is one of those, though, where, you know, in some ways it's the uh, um, it's the prisoner's dilemma, right, where if both prisoners squawk, then they both go to jail forever. If one prisoner squawks, he gets out but the other one has to go to jail for a long time. The best outcome is for both to remain quiet. <laughs> and then they both serve like a, a, a short sentence at the same time. It's hard to stay quiet when you're the one who's, who's risking it. Right. Cause you got a risk that the other person is going to, is going to stay quiet as well. I think that's kind of what we're looking at here is we're looking at a case where Florida state is the one who brought the lawsuit. Florida state is the one who's making noise at the same time. Florida state is the one who has the most to lose when it comes to being left out of what's going on. Right. Like the Virginia techs of the world, 
maybe get picked up because they're sort of in the D.C. area, but they don't have some giant history like Florida State does. Um, same thing for North Carolina, though their basketball, you figure, might help them given given you know some of the blue blood status there. I, I just really I really think that what it's going to come down to is can Florida State cobble together enough of a consensus within the conference and help with enough landing spots for those teams within the conference to convince the conference that essentially it doesn't exist anymore because the voting members of the conference are – the teams. And so if the teams don't want to let Florida state out, I think they're going to squeeze them for every dime they can get. If they're incentivized to let them out, then they'll let them out. And I, I'm not really believing anything till they announce what actually happens. Um, because contract numbers, it's, it's like the NFL, right? They, they announced somebody signed for $300 million. And then you look, it's like 36 million guaranteed. It's like, we'll, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening when, when the dust settles and whether the agreement that was sort of floated is the one that ends up there. My guess is, It'll be somewhere between what got floated the other way and what the total buyout is because there probably is zero benefit to having discovery of all the emails that have gone back and forth for reasons beyond the uh, beyond this particular litigation. I mean, you know, just generally these organizations are pretty risk averse to having those emails out in public. I think that if FSU remained patient, the SEC would come calling at some point. I don't think FSU is interested in waiting, though, because they keep talking. I, 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 fair enough, too. The difference year to year in what they're going to get in payouts playing in the ACC versus being a Big Ten or SEC member, if the SEC is not ready to pull the trigger, I think the Big Ten seems like you already expanded out to the West Coast. You get into Florida, you got you got almost every corner of the country in the Big Ten. I, I would think uh, – Florida, uh, Florida State, Miami. You could try to make a move on Clemson, but that seems to be the next direction for the Big Ten. That would make a lot of sense to me. I do think I would love to see Clemson, Florida State in the SEC footprint. Uh, there's something about Miami, Will, where I'm just I, I'm not feeling Miami in the SEC. You, you do you see any scenario which Miami ends up in the SEC at any point? I mean, maybe. I think it's going to come down to. What do the conferences value? And you and I've been arguing about this now for months because I keep talking about UNLV, and you keep and you keep getting you keep getting (laughs) mad at me. But but Vegas keeps building and building and building. And so if you're looking for TV markets, and you have to choose between Florida State and Miami, I think you choose Miami every time, right? The Tallahassee TV market is not really that big. If you have to, so it, in my mind, it depends on how you're making those decisions. So like the big 10 sniping UCLA and USC because it's a Los Angeles TV market, Oregon, because it's up in that particular, you know, Pacific Northwest TV market. Those sorts of things are the things that I think are going to start to make these decisions. So it's actually one of those things where 20 years from now, no one's going to remember whether Florida state was like this historically great um, program in college football for a while if they get left out, right? It, it Because it's a team that's sitting in the state capital of Florida, but not a big city in Florida. There is some history there, but it's, and you really can't tell the history of college football without Florida State. But I think you could probably eliminate Florida State from the list of teams. And every Saturday, if we got Ole Miss playing, playing Ohio State and Michigan playing Florida, are we going to sit there and go, oh, boo-hoo, Florida State's not playing in this particular segment? Like, I, I hate that you're going to put me in a position to defend Florida State here, but if you want to talk about TV markets, uh, I don't know if you've driven through Auburn, Alabama before. 
It's not exactly mm-hmm. or, or Gainesville, Florida, for that matter. There's not I, I do think with the TV market thing, that was more of a consideration. That's why Rutgers was added to the Big Ten, for example, 20 years, you know, what, 15, 20 years ago. Not 20, but 10, 15 years ago at this point. I don't know if that's the same level of importance today. I think you got all these different packages that you guys, I don't think they're measuring it quite the same way that they did about a decade, a decade and a half ago. And I do think that FSU as a brand, you can put them up almost against any brand in college football and people are going to tune in to watch a big game involving Florida state. So I, I think Miami, on the other hand, Miami has a lot of the same appeal. Miami has a lot of the same appeal but it's just a different level of support. Maybe it's more localized, but when Miami's hot, obviously they have a big brand, but when they're not a little bit off the map on the national scene, but I, I do think FSU probably the more attractive brand overall year to year, but just even in the sec footprint, they would make so much sense. Will uh, sitting there so many natural rivalries. They used to play Auburn a lot back in the day. They played LSU a lot back in the day, Florida, obviously, but think about it, FSU, Alabama, FSU, Georgia, that all makes sense. It all just kind of well, makes sense. And I, I do think the downside of what they're doing is they're being a little short-sighted. The Big Ten element would be interesting, certainly be more interesting to their fan base than playing in the in the ACC. But um, well, I mean, as a fan, I'd want them in whatever the Big Ten turns out being because I think there's there would be value in having Florida playing Florida State in whatever championship was around, right? Or Miami yeah. playing Florida in whatever championships around. Me, when the I don't AFC want them in the SEC. SEC. I, I agree with that part. I so I guess the thing is is the the we talked last week that college football just signed a 7.3 billion dollar TV deal for this 12 team tournament. Mm-hmm. And so TV considerations are the only thing that's going to matter. Now, look, the NFL has teams in Green Bay. They have teams in Nashville. They have teams in Jacksonville. So they've got teams that aren't necessarily the the biggest TV markets that are out there. However, the most valuable entities within the NFL are in Dallas. They're in New England. They're in New York or New Jersey because there aren't any teams that actually play in New York except for Buffalo. There's history attached to those teams too. It's not – I mean, you put a UCLA game on and you put an FSU game on, who do you think is getting the bigger number? Well, what I'm telling you is today I think Florida State gets the bigger number. But if Florida State gets left out, I think Florida State ends up being like the SMU of of college football, where SMU back when the back before they got the death penalty was much must watch TV. And you would have sat there in whatever that was, 1980-something, saying, we can't do do this to SMU. Like, they're must-see TV. They're a big part of college football history. Absolutely. And then they just go on the scrap heap of college football history, and we get an Eric Dickerson and, uh, you know, we get an Eric Dickerson 30 for 30 or something talking about the Mustangs, and you don't hear from him again. That happens well, in college I, football from time well, to time. Well, you better tune in this year because you're going to get to see an ACC showdown between SMU and Stanford. This year. So, well, like I said, if if they're cheapening the brand ACC in the matchup, <laughs> they're cheapening the brand in the ACC. And uh, look, I, I think Florida State will end up in it, but I, I think it's presumptuous to think that these teams are going to like. It's it's not like when you go to get a coach and you pay a buyout because you want that coach to come. No one's buying out Florida State. They're going to have to figure out a way to buy off the rest of the ACC to get out of there, which means they have to help everybody find landing spots. This is one of those where, like, it's just everybody has to be happy when the dust settles. The problem is Wake Forest 
isn't going to be happy unless they're getting the full maximum payout from all the folks who tend to leave. So like the Virginia Techs and the North Carolina, this of the world might really actually might, might benefit by Florida state driving out of the conference. Same thing perhaps with Boston college and Syracuse, but you start talking about some of the other teams, the wakes of the world, the Dukes of the world. Um, you know, some of the teams where like, if it's on, I'll watch it, but okay, this is, this is just, it's, Georgia Tech, right? Like, who cares if they're not playing Georgia? Because if they're playing Georgia, then at least I got somebody to root for. Um, you know, those sorts of teams are the ones that I think are going to hold on, and you're going to have to find a spot for them. Now, I've been saying forever that I think it needs to be 60 to 65 teams. You divide it up into two conferences, AFC and NFC, essentially, and then you play just like you do in the NFL. And it won't be perfect because the schedules won't match up, you know, with, with 60 teams, like it won't for like it will for 30 teams, but then you set up a playoff where, you know, teams are, are seven and six going into the playoff, <laughs> just like they're in the NFL, right. Where you got all those conferences, but you don't have the games against, you know, against Arkansas Pine Bluff where you're going in there and, and just beating them by 70 every day, every week too. So uh, look, college football's changing. I don't think Florida state gets left out at the same time. Um, it'd be hilarious if they do. And I'm going to hold out hope until it, until it happens. <laughs> yeah. No chance, no chance they get left out. I, I, they're landed big 10 or SEC in the near future. I have a feeling with the Knowles there. Um, second straight week of mentioning Arkansas Pine, Pine Bluff. Can we keep it going next week? Find that Arkansas Pine Bluff reference at some point next week, Will. Uh, two Gators invited to the NFL Combine. Daniel Jeremiah had this to say about Ricky Pearsall via On3 Sports. Uh, quick and fast and has been impressive as a route runner. Uh, he has been really able to separate. This was at the Senior Bowl. You see it with double moves when you watch his tape at Florida. They also just get the ball in his hands and let him run with it after the catch. Will, we saw a lot of this during his time at Florida. He was certainly one of the more consistent offensive weapons uh, at, at times At times here in Gainesville. Wasn't really a dominant force week to week, Will, in the passing game. But when he had when he had his moments, like he, he really was – he showed up week to week. Whether or not we actually threw him the ball week to week, that was the question. That, that was the only question in consist- consistency with Pearsall, whether or not we actually gave him a look. But the weeks he did get those looks, uh, typically a strong performance out of him. Yeah, I mean, look, Pearsall's performed well in two different programs, right? I mean, he was an explosive player at Arizona State, came to Florida, and made made explosive plays at Florida too. Definitely the most dependable receiver on this on the in in the program the last two years. And I'm really curious to see what he runs in the 40 because I think he's faster than most people think. I think they see him, and because of the way he looks, they assume that he's a possession receiver. I think they're going to be surprised when he goes out and runs a 40. I think he's going to run in the mid four fours, and you're going to sit there and go, all right, he's going to go race up the draft board. And uh, I'm I'm excited to see it. I think he's going to be a good player in the NFL. I, you know, whether he ends up being a true number one, I don't necessarily know. But obviously, we saw the ridiculous catch he made. It's sort of behind his back, um, able to it's contort Charlotte. his body, able to make a bunch of really really nice nice plays. But the other thing is, he always seemed open. Right. And I know in college football, sometimes that's from design, but Pearsall seemed to be able to shake the defender, get open um, at, at various stages, even when he was being double teamed. I mean, think about the Florida State game two years ago. He was behind their defense pretty much the entire first half. Um, and that's a pretty good secondary over there. Not not elite secondary, but a pretty good secondary there at Florida State. He was behind him the entire time. Anthony Richardson was hitting him. 
the number of times that Richardson and Mertz were able to go downfield and hit him uh, was rel- was relatively limited the last few years. And so um, it's hard for me to gauge, given the inconsistency in the Florida offense, how much of that was the quarterback, how much of that was Billy Napier, and how much of that was Ricky Pearsall. So I think if he goes out the combine, runs a four four five, um, I think you're going to see him shoot up draft boards because he doesn't drop anything. I mean, I can't remember him dropping a pass, right? I mean, the ball sticks every time every time it hits his hands. And even if you got a guy who's just a possession receiver who's able to move the chains and always catches it when he's out there and is able to sort of shake loose, that's a valuable commodity to have. But I think Pearsall's more than that. I think he's gonna I think his uh his combine stats are probably gonna probably gonna push him up the board. Yeah, he had good presence here in Gainesville. Really showed up uh yeah, obviously not not two of our best years in Florida football history the last couple of years, but he was a guy that tended to stand out week to week. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up playing. I hope he gets in the right situation because I could see him being like he, if he was like really like a three, four option somewhere, he could be really solid, like solid three, four options rookie year. Definitely a guy that could work his way up, but just to get his foot in the door somewhere yeah. in the right system, I would really love to see him in that type of offense. If he went to the Texans with Stroud, Right. That, that would like be that. that would be an awesome situation yeah. for him. The Rams, I feel like McVay could figure out that guy. <laughs> Sean Payton in Denver when he gets the quarterback situation up and running to his liking on that. Uh it'll be interesting to see. Uh the other the other uh player that was invited to the compine center, Kingsley Egwakin, obviously missed a lot of this season, but strong contributor at Florida, had a good week at the senior bowl after missing the bulk of the year here. At one point, though, he did make 26 consecutive starts as a Gator. Uh, served as a key piece to this offensive line throughout his time in Gainesville. Well, I, I definitely felt like the Gators missed him at times last year. And when he did play, it, it, I don't feel like we saw the full version of him this year at any point. So, obviously, I, I, do, I do remember the the false starts at Kentucky a few years back. That, that was a rough start to a career there early on for him. But... He really played well down the stretch uh, of his career and obviously had a rough season last last year. Uh, would have liked to see it end on a higher note, but it would not surprise me to see him be uh, mid to late. Probably he's – obviously I think he's going to be like a day three guy, if that, but I'd like to see him get that opportunity somewhere because I, I, I could see him being a sneaky good late-round pick for some team. Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably looking at an undrafted free agent would be my guess in, in terms of where he ends up, um, which is actually good in some respects. Um, you get some guarantees when you get drafted. At the same time, you get to pick where you go if you're an undrafted free agent. We've seen guys succeed being undrafted free agents and, and going to to a situation where there's an opportunity as opposed to necessarily getting stuck with somebody where you're drafting, where you get drafted, you might be behind some more depth. Um, Agrican, like you mentioned, rough start there against Kentucky, but certainly built past that to a point where he was a major contributor and you know we all saw that Utah game last year and everything on the offensive line looked discombobulated we're sort of waiting for him to come back but the injury never really healed sort of in and out all year long um, and Jake Slaughter started to really step forward there and and contribute and be a solid guy there at the center position as the season went along all the all told though I mean look I never looked at the offensive line the last three years, um, well, not counting last year, so the two years before last year, and said, Aguacun is the weak spot, right? I, ne- I never sat there and said, oh, that's a spot where we have to replace. That's a spot where a guy doesn't know what he's going to do. Always knew his assignment. The snap was online all the time. Obviously, that's a concern sometimes with the center, uh, making sure that the snaps are good. So um, 
but a very, very solid player at Florida. I'd I'd be surprised if he gets drafted, but I think he's got an opportunity to. We'll see what he's able to do when it comes to all the combine measurables, how fast he is, what he can do on the bench press, all that sort of stuff. Because if he comes out there and shows out on on some of those things, I mean, we've seen it all the time, right? The guys put up big physical stats, and all of a sudden they start going up the board, or vice versa, they struggle and then start going in the opposite direction. But uh, you know, a big big time contributor in Gainesville, you need those guys. You need guys who you look at and say, hey. This guy, very, very good college player. Don't know how he'll do in the pros. Maybe kind of a tweener um, when it when it comes to that. But he's going to get an opportunity if you can piece five, six, seven of those guys along with some big time draft picks on your team. You're going to be winning an awful lot. So I would can good luck to him. Hopefully he gets drafted and mm-hmm. uh, you know a big time contributor to Florida's program. Yeah, and look, there's plenty of tape. I know we talked about him missing this past season, but luckily for him, there's plenty of tape to evaluate. Uh, out there for him for so there won't be any question where he stands all right we're going to move on to the last section will i'm going to turn it over to you you're going to run this one yeah so like i said i went over to uh gator sports they had an article up looking at uh the guys going to the combine and then they had some florida records so um nick nick put together a list of what three guys for three, each well uh, three i got i cheated i got more than three on most of them <laughs> so i'm going to just Give it, All give right, it what well, I got. Well, we'll let you list them, and then I'll ask you for who your actual uh, for who your actual selection is, and then we'll reveal. So the one that everybody looks at in the combine, the one everybody pays attention to, the forty yard dash. Who is who ran the fastest forty at the combine for for the Florida Gators? So I want to say this: I the combine first off is approximately three hundred players per year, right? Do you have that number? Somewhere in that range, yeah. It's somewhere around 300 players per year. So that's what, like, this year, Pierce, Oligo, King, the only two Gators invited. So it's not like every guy eligible for the draft gets invited. So they have to be a high enough profile, which means a guy like Jeff Demps probably was not invited to the Combine, I would guess. Mm. And I'm not sure even a Chris Rainey was. He might have been, might have been preparing for the uh, for track right. for Demps. But right. Ra- Rainey was at the Combine. Rainey did go to the Combine. All yep. right. So, well, I had Demps and Rainey, but I was guessing Demps probably not at the combine but rainy i the obvious ones from first off i i went late 90s and beyond because that's when the combine really started to blow up in the public eye too there's nobody on the list there's nobody on the list before 1999 so okay cool all right good so that was my assumption so i'm gonna go rainy harvin or callaway antonio callaway for the 40 yard dash it's probably not harvin that's what i would say probably not harvin who's your pick I would lean, I would lean Callaway slightly, not rainy, rainy Callaway. That's tough. Maybe rainy. I, I'll go rainy. So it's Lewis Murphy, Murphy. 4.32. Lewis Murphy. 4.32. Yeah, seriously. That's blazing, that man. Radar. That's blazing. Jeez. You think you think about those teams back in 2016 or 2007, 2008 with, with Murphy wow. out there, particularly the uh, 2006 season. Murphy Murphy made a couple of big plays against LSU. There was a play after the jump pass for Tebow where Tebow faked the run, and then Murphy was wide open behind LSU's defense. First time I ever really saw him streaked down the field. That dude was blazing. Re- decent career, right, with, with the Raiders? Great career in Florida. Yeah, yeah, great career floor, but then a decent career in the NFL too. Yeah. Um, you know that that was what I would not have guessed, Lewis Murphy. This is why we had to have you guess because I had already seen him. Interesting. Um, all right, Interesting. so bench press, two hundred twenty-five pounds, um, and and this is uh, how many they could do, how many reps they could do. All right, I'm staying along the lines here. I threw a linebacker in here for fun, but I got Sharif Floyd, Gerard Warren. Dante Fowler, Jared Davis at the linebacker spot. Taven Bryan, though, is my wild card. 
Uh, first round draft pick for the Jags. Another O lineman here, Kenyatta Walker. You said no super. Uh, I'm going to leave off Ellis Johnson and Kevin Carter because you said nothing before 99. We just discussed that now. So I'm going to lean in this group. My gut is telling me Warren to go with Warren on this, but I'm going to go with Taven Bryan because of this group, I think he was probably the guy I was most surprised with being drafted in the first round. Thanks to my Jacksonville Jaguars, of course, on that. So let's go Taven Bryan because I'm guessing he just blew people away on the workouts. And I'm pretty sure I remember hearing that, but I don't know if he has a record for a Gator, but Taven Bryan's my guess. Yeah, so it's it's actually Zach Piller. In 1999, he was a sophomore letterman on the 1996 yeah. team, a guard, first team All-SEC in 1998. 58 starts with the Titans. Back that 1999 Titans team with the Frank Wycheck oh, uh, pass against my Bills, Double like complete, complete, completely killed me. But they uh, killed the Jags. I was at that <laughs> AFC title game where they knocked us out. We lost three games that year. They were all of the Titans. But you were in the right spot, offensive and defensive line. Those are the guys who tend to be the ones who are who are good. So those are the first. Those first two are the ones that you're like, all right, th- those aren't. Anyone have Zach um, Pillar out there? I'm just curious. <laughs> Let us know. Hey Zach Pillar, if you're listening to this, please <laughs> shout out to you. All right, and that was 40 reps at 225. That's some serious, wow. serious stuff. But 40 reps at 225. <laughs> How many reps at 225 can you do right now, there, uh, Nick? I'm not. I don't want to make any accusations uh, on Zach Biller or anything. But that was right around when when uh, McGuire was mashing 70 home runs, right? Allegedly, allegedly. No, he he was. I don't know. We'll see. All right, vertical jump. This this, this is a household name. Well, if it's household name, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Reggie Nelson on this one. I'm gonna go Reggie Nelson on that. Right. I, I threw out some other DBs and heart, but if you're going super household name, I'm gonna go Reggie Nelson. Well, well, give us your list. Give us your list. My list. I I was trying to stay DB receiver, but I went. Uh, I have Hilliard and Anthony on there too from the '90s, but I I got. I don't think I wouldn't qualify Tease Tabor or Vernon Hargreaves as as uh, household names, and uh, I'm gonna save this other one because I don't think it's it. If you're saying it's a household name, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave Reggie Nelson. That's a good. That's a good one. So Rache Caldwell in 2002, oh, 41 and a half, 41 and a half inches. It's pretty good. Pretty good leap there. Vertical, wow, vertical jump. Yep. So broad jump. Broad jump. Uh, buh, buh, buh. my list here. Broad jump. Okay. This would be one I w- I would consider seriously consider Harvin for Lido Shepard. I put Tabor on there again, too. He's a pretty athletic guy. But I'm going to pull out a name that wasn't really a common like name on the football field. Had it probably had more uh, of an electric career off the football field on the track. But John Capel. Hmm. John Capel. I'm going to throw that name out there. He was, I believe if he didn't qualify for the Olympics, he was close. Wasn't he on the U.S. team, Will? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, that's what... Late Spurrier, that's like the late Spurrier days? Or was that yeah. Zook by then that he was there? I should know that, but I don't. Yeah, off the top of my head, I'm not. <laughs> I just remember that. I always remember reading about him and, and thinking, like, okay, we've got an Olympian floating around here. I'm not sure he would be at the NFL draft, though, or so at the, the NFL combine. So the broad jump champion is Kadarius Tony. Tony, man, I had him. I had him for, uh, I had Tony for the, uh, for the uh, three cone. All right, so here's the deal. So the shuttle and the three cones, the same guy. And it's not Tony. 
and it's not Tony. So, yeah, I, I uh, had Tony listed for I, that's where I had Tony listed was the shuttle and the three cone. Well, that's where I would have had him too if I'd have yeah. been guessing, but not same guy. Um, definitely um, 2008 championship team. Same guy, shuttle and three cone. Who, who you got? Joe Hayden. Who, who, who's your list? You got a list? I got, I got, if you're saying 08 championship team, Joe Hayden would be my guy off that. Rainy. It's rainy. Okay. Rainy. Rainy to sell in three coats. Not too bad for, you know, you had most of these guys listed. You had Tony listed, rainy listed. Murphy is the one that just blows me away. I would not have guessed that for the 40 yard dash, but uh, that was kind of cool. I thought, I thought that was kind of, kind of fun. Hopefully uh, some of the people who've been listening, got to guess as wrongly as, as, as you and I did the first time we saw this. (laughs) I knew that was going to be a tough one. Well, I'll uh, tell you, it's interesting because, you know, you think about the guys like Harvin, the game changing guys, and then you look at the guys who are who are showing out on the on the on the combine stuff. And one, these are all other than Rainey, pretty significant contributors in the NFL. Right. I mean, Tony is probably the one who's contributed the least other than Rainey. And Tony was a major player in the Super Bowl last year. Rache Caldwell, decent career. You got Pillar played 58 starts with the Titans, played in like 90 games, and then Murphy played for the play for the Raiders. The amount of depth within the Florida program is pretty is pretty impressive when you start looking back at the history of the program, not just in the 90s but in the 2000s as well. Mm-hmm. And certainly, um, it's also telling that you got one guy from 1999, you got a guy from 2002, and then it's 2009, 2012, and 2021. It turns out that as these guys prepare for the combine. And as guys get bigger, stronger, faster, those records start to go down. So uh, probably shouldn't be a surprise that some of the nearer term guys do. But um, I, honestly, I think as these records start to get overturned, that'll actually start to tell us that Florida's back, right? That, that um, you know, and actually I'll have to go back and look maybe because I would have guessed Anthony Richardson on one of those jumps. <laughs> And uh, and maybe maybe I missed it or maybe it wasn't in the article or or the only or thing is with a big body like that I gotta think the smaller the more compact guys have a better sh- like you yeah, don't maybe. really see a six four guy at the Olympics like on, on one of those like a like a broad jump or something like that they're, you they're don't see a lot of six back. four guys you don't see a lot of six four guys built like Richardson no no I I would <laughs> think he's uh I would just think Richardson would do well at everything and maybe not the best at anything well my memory is is that he broke every record but I'm wondering if he broke for every record for a quarterback yeah, yeah for quarterbacks so, yeah. yeah anyway kind of fun yeah I, enjoyed sort of looking at that and uh yeah always sort of fun to to do a topic like that and yeah you know. shout out <laughs> Zach Pillar remember back to the Zach Pillar era <laughs> let's go man you had to bring up the 99 Titans hate that too well hey he won the 96 championship so that's that's the pillar memory that we. And by the way it was definitely a forward pass to. against the bills right absolutely it was. okay yeah we can agree so the jacks but i mean whatever the bills deserve to lose they started rob johnson instead of doug flutie i hate wade wade phillips at least it was before the era of we had to listen to people uh complain online every time they don't like something in the nfl about a script so we don't we didn't have to listen to any of that <laughs> nonsense back then so that, that was that was a positive. That was my dorm room. If you'd have been in my dorm room, you would have uh, you would have heard me talking about how it's all all rigged. Will Miles, <laughs> two thousand four, you YouTube takes. All right. Uh, hey, uh, we didn't do a magazine out the gate. We didn't talk about the magazine. Let's uh, talk about where they can re- people can reach you for magazine ads. Yeah. So spots are going fast. Um, we've had multiple people reach out to us even since last week. Very much appreciate that. Um, you know. 
like we said last week, we've got other advertising options if the magazine doesn't make sense. But, um, you know, we just want to have conversation. We're not going to sit there and try to hard sell you. Um, we want to make sure our audience makes sense for you to reach. Um, want to make sense, want to make sure that, uh, you know, it's a happy, happy for everybody. But we have a media kit. Reach out, Will, at readingreaction.com or at Will Miles SEC on X. And happy to get you the information. And, you know, look, if it turns out that it's not a good fit, cool. No hard feelings. We'll shake hands, be friends. Uh, but I, th I think some people are going to get, you know, this is something that'll be on a table, be on a desk, be in a doctor's office for, you know, from the day it's released right before Memorial Day until the, the season kicks off. And even then, you know, in October, you can look in there and find all the little things we got right and all the big things we got wrong. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's 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 good fodder. Believe me, I've had a few people throw some things in my face over the past couple of years. It's always fun, too, right? Just because it, it's good to put yourself out there. So, again, if you're interested, reach out. We'll send you a media kit, send you pricing, send you information. Um, will at readandreaction.com or at Will Miles SEC on X. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in for another episode of Stand Up and Holler for Will Miles. I'm Nick Newton. Have a great week, and go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.